Welcome to the Frankly Who Cares podcast. It's the Frankly Who Cares podcast, the podcast that is no fan of stuttering penalty shootout run-ups followed by tamely side-footing the ball straight at the keeper, but instead takes a ludicrously long run-up and confidently blasts the decisive penalty three feet over the bar and into the crowd. As for today's pod, we're all about those unusual score lines. Hello, I'm Alex, joined as always by Tom. How are you doing, Tom? I'm very good. All all the much better for that for that um, intro. I very much enjoyed that. Which one were you? Were you, were you a placer or were you a thrasher? I was a don't take them at all, actually. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> um, Okay. The one time I, I did have. take one, yeah, it was more like the, the former, actually, to be completely honest, when I did actually take one and it dribbled over the line, because Des Walker told me to in that, that uh, game course, that I yeah. never mentioned. As, as discussed, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't a regular penalty taker, I have to say, but I did, I once played in this sort of school uh, school game, so it was something we'd organised and it was... It was basically broadly, this sounds like something that might happen in Grange Hill or Biker Grove, but it was broadly the football playing geeks versus like the rugby boys in a right. match. Um, and, but it, I somehow got sucked into this game playing for the geeks, not because I'm cool, because it, it was unusual because it was actually the year above and they, like, I played football with a couple of them and they were like, oh, we need a centre back. Mm. Um, and it went to penalties, and I stepped up. I was like, "Yes, yeah, definitely." I'll take the first one and placed it, and just got saved. Rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> but we did win, so we went on penalty. So nice, good. So yeah, what have you been up to? Um, well, I'm, out, I'm currently isolating because I've been pinged by the track and trace app. So I've been watching an awful lot of sport, to be honest. Mm, um, good excuse. And putting together shopping lists for my wife to go out and get me because she's away this weekend. So I need to have absolutely everything in the house ready. <laughs> So, <laughs> just putting ridiculous things on there to see if she'd get there or not. So it's like, <laughs> like what? Uh, two packs of fizzy laces, which she did get. Very good. Excellent work. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so otherwise, it's that time of year where I think it is peak time of year, I would say, for, for watching sport. At end of June, beginning of July, when you've got things like a lot of big golf tournaments. Uh, there's a Lions tour this year and a major football tournament, which hasn't happened before because football mm. tournaments normally are, uh, are in even years. So um, yeah, it, it's not it's not been too too boring, um, but mm-hmm. I would probably today rather be out playing playing sport. Um, but I have got a sort of Lions followed by England's quarterfinal double header coming up, so that'll be that'll be quite good. So how about you? Not, not a bad double. Yeah. Um, well, I have been watching an inordinate amount of sport because you've got like Wimbledon on at the moment. That's on virtually every hour of the day. Tour de France has started. That's been uh, good so far. Lots of crashes. Oh, yeah, I don't know I if you that. saw, uh, yeah, the woman the holding the a sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not facing the race causes one of the worst crashes in Tour de France history. She got arrested. So, did. They were talking about suing her, but then they thought, actually, I think we're taking this too far now. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think, yeah, they've made their point. But yes, so enjoying this peak, absolute peak period of sport that we're going through at the moment, which gives us a lot to talk about Um today and a bit later but first obviously as usual we'll be starting with gold silver bronze dean macy and as i mentioned in the intro we're doing unusual score lines aren't we indeed yes 
So, mm. uh, so this is where we choose our top four of uh, of any sort of instance and put them into slots for gold, silver, bronze, Dean Macy, and Dean Macy being somewhat unusual for some reason. I have to say I've struggled to get away from my kind of the probably the four sports I talk about the most. Okay. Um, so uh, I've got a, a little bit of a spread across cricket, football, rugby, and baseball. Um, mm. Have you more got... diversity than mine? Right. Okay. Fine. So, I mean, I, I know I think there's one that might, you, as usual, I think there's one that you might have, but which we never have when we, we say we this. No, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe this time. Shall I start with that one? Because I think it's Go the on. most obvious one I've got. Okay. Do it. Okay. So, 2010. The end of 2010, uh, England departed on an Ashes tour when optimism was at an un unparalleled levels, especially when you consider the, the previous Ashes tour down under where we'd beaten them in the 2005 Ashes. So 6-7 ended 5-0 to Australia. And I think subsequently we've barely won a single test match in any Ashes tour. But the first test, um, we were messaging each other about how excited we were and how optimistic. Yeah. And then Andrew Strauss smashed one to Gully in the first over. And it was like, oh, God, <laughs> here we go again. But um, in that test match, so England were bowled out in the first innings. Uh, Peter Siddle took a hat trick. And then Australia piled on a first innings lead. And it was like, oh, God, here we go again. But I think it was at the Gabba, so... England, terrible record at the Gabba. Australia, until recently, hadn't lost there for like 35 years. Um, so to get out with the draw would have been a pretty good result. So England started batting in their second innings. Do you remember what the score ended up as? No. So no. England put on 188 for the first wicket, at which point they were still behind Australia, so still game on. And then for the second wicket, 329 between... Alistair Cook and Jonathan Trott. Not one for the purists, I would say. Yeah. I didn't watch any of this at all, but I'd followed it. A lot of it was in the middle of the night, to be fair. Yeah. So, and, you know, staying up all night to watch Trott and Cook back. That is, that is <laughs> endurance Hardcore. that I do not possess. Um, and finished up 517 for one. God, which I'd is, forgotten it was that, that dominant by any measure, a ludicrous cricket score. Yeah. Um, and the second test started. And again, I thought, I'll stay up for a bit of this. We lost the toss. Australia batted on a flat one. Katic run out without facing a ball. I think Watson nicked off. Ponting nicked off for nothing. It was like, we're, and from then on, utterly, you know, pretty much dominant through, through that test match. And then for the final two to win the series, 3-1, three, three, either side of a defeat in Perth. So, yeah, it's sort of a ludicrous score, but also a crucial turning point in in that series, uh, which yeah. really wore them down. Uh, so that's my first one. That's what I thought you might have, but it doesn't sound like it. Didn't have it. Very good. I'm really pleased you put that in one of my favourite series of all time. And, yeah, as you say, we're messaging a lot through that. That was the one where... Um, uh, yeah, I would tend to watch the first session, go to bed, wake up the following, you know, the, after a few hours sleep and, um, you know, get the last hour or 45 minutes yeah, or something. Yeah. And that particular test, um, seeing that, um, yeah, that, that Cook and Trot 
were still there was an absolute mind blown. Didn't make any sense. Is this how second innings can can work out what was happening? Um, so uh, yeah, that that that's a brilliant one. Yeah, one of my favourite sporting things. Obviously, two thousand and five Ashes is is right up there. But I I love that that series as well. And yeah, the thought of doing that to Australia in Australia, yeah, it was just was incredibly unlikely. Mm, absolutely mm. right. Yeah. Over to Just you. Out. Okay, so here's um, here's my one that I thought you may have thought of, uh, which is still one of the most ridiculous games of football I've ever seen. And um, even now, when I think about it and watch the highlights, I think, how did this happen? Um, which is um, the Brazil Germany semi final <laughs> from 2014 in Brazil, uh, which Germany won seven one, uh, and. Uh, yeah, couldn't believe what was happening as I was watching it. There were five nil up after twenty nine minutes. There uh, were four goals scored in a seven minute spell. <laughs> yeah, so I, I watched this at, um, at home. So we just moved into the flat we still live in now, and um, I, uh, my wife, I think she went into shower and she said, "Oh, I don't mind watching this because everyone's been talking about how it's going to be the best game." So I'll just have a shower first. I'll miss the first half an hour because I haven't got the attention span. And she came out. I was like, it's 5-0. <laughs> <I was> like, what? <laughs> There's normally like one goal and, it's, and I miss yeah. it. I'm like, well, yeah. you missed five this time. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> ludicrous. Yeah. Absolutely ludicrous. Completely ludicrous. Uh, they were 7-0 up. Brazil's consolation. You can't even call it a consolation goal. That was no consolation. Their, their, their goal was in the 90th minute. Yeah. Um, no, he was announced... furious, wasn't he? Absolutely, yeah, exactly. Um, so, as you know, I went, I went to, um, to 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 that World Cup, and just the emotion that surrounded that team in Brazil, the emotion surrounding it was was immense. So the 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 come down and the humiliation of that result was absolutely off off the scale. I mean, at any any period, even if they weren't playing at home, but to play at home and get, I don't know if you remember some of the goals, but they they walked in. Like yeah. Two or three of them. It was the most. It was some of the most hapless defending I've seen outside yeah. that I'm actually playing in. <laughs> exactly. Our old team at Thames Valley Housing played. You know, <laughs> I think we'd be much we'd, more we'd solid. Be, yeah, we'd be keeping it tighter at the back than that. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, still, still one of the first things I think of when I think of ludicrous scorelines. It just doesn't make any. Well, it makes sense if you saw it because they were so bad, but it's still just ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, I, yeah, just so surreal, wasn't it? Um, because mm. someone tried to convince me on a train, it was on those drunken conversations on the train, you know, when you're on like the last train home, and the one yeah. that comes through here is like a proper code goes out, it's a stopper that goes to loads of commuter stops. So, the last train home in the summer is always like an absolute zoo. Someone mm. trying to convince me that Germany weren't going to win the World Cup. It's like they're in, was it the semis or was it quarters? That was the semis. That was the semi, yeah. So they weren't yeah. going to beat Argentina in the final. I was like, they've just beaten Brazil 7-0. <laughs> and I think Argentina <laughs> took the gas. pens or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, but they have, yeah, it's messy. I, was like, I just I just can't see it. And actually, the final yeah. was quite close, but they did win, didn't they? So, mm. that was right. You just reminded me that talk about a contrast of semis because that, the so the, so Argentina played, was it Holland in the other semi? Um, the reason I, I'm, I'm a bit vague on it is it was such a bad game. I actually didn't even stay to, to watch the end of it. 
I thought I've got an early start tomorrow. I think I'm running like a uh, all staff conference. I'm going to go to bed. That's how bad it was to go to, to miss the end of a World Cup oh, semi final. It sounded like you were there. No, 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 no. That oh, would have yeah, been brilliant. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we went to some bad games that we should have walked out of whilst I was there, but no, not that one. It was um, um, it was Holland-Argentina, and it was nil-nil, and they won on penalties. So there you go. Yeah. So, yes, bit of a contrast, but yes, 7-1, I think that will stand the test of time. It's one of the most ridiculous score lines in football. Yeah. Yeah, very good. So, I've, I have got a football one, um, mm-hmm. but I went just rather than a big game. Uh, so, this is one I watched. I'm pretty sure it was... Um, during the roundup of Champions League, where, and this would have been either before or after a ridiculously long range Janino free kick in the midweek coverage. The roundup, yep. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a dead rubber, but it was um, Monaco 8, Deportivo 3. And it it was from the era when Deportivo were really good. They, mm. they had a bit of a run, didn't they? They're not even in the top division in Spain anymore. No, no. But they always had a, just like a classic kit. They were always, yeah. always sponsored by beer, like Estrella <laughs> Galicia. And I just, I and they had uh, Valeron, who was like this sort of. Oh, yes. He was a bit like Raquel May, wasn't he? Like you had to build your whole team around him and play him in the middle, and you couldn't do anything yeah. else with that. But, but if you did that, he made your team really good. Um, yeah. And I think it was around this time that, that they got knocked out by Man United in a couple of quite big. Um, like quarterfinals or semi-finals, and like Beckham scored a ridiculous goal against them, and Ronaldo scored a ridiculous goal against them, and they were yeah. a bit unlucky. But yeah, so this was a sort of dead rubber group game, and Monaco had this Croatian striker called Dado Perso who was useless. I think he scored four, maybe five in this game. But I just wow. enjoyed the score eight three because it's like a <laughs> sort of under nine scoreline. Um, or, an, or an old school, um, you know, scoreline for the 50s or 60s. Oh, um, when people play 2-3-5. Yeah, which we'll get yeah. to in a bit, actually, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I don't remember that at all. Um, I'm just three uh, in modern football. Yeah, yeah. So this is... Um, uh, I'm just looking up the date. Um Sky Sports website is so crap. They don't have any. You have to read everything. They don't have any summaries. How dare Sky Sports not prop up our bad prep? I know. It's really poor. I mean, it's come up. So (laughs) when I look this up, uh, the headline of this from Planet Football is remembering the most batshit mental game of all time. And it does, the good thing about this is, is it does um, talk about uh, a lot of other batshit games. But yeah, um, the the thing I also liked about this, 8-3, uh, no goals in the last 23 minutes. So 8-3 <laughs> after 67 minutes. So good. Uh, and Dado Perso, as mentioned, he did score four. Um, wow. But yeah, it just... Absolutely ridiculous. So 4-0 four, four Monaco, back to 4-2, then to 6-2, 7 And then they both just called it a day. And then, yeah, shall, shall we stop it there? So, yeah. I declared. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. And, and that does, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go on to um, the thing that follows that quite nicely, which is an, another football one. Yeah. Uh, which is slightly different, 
so if I was to say to you, Boxing Day 1963, does that mean anything to you? Right, you must be the only one of my friends that I don't send this text to every Boxing Day when the football's <laughs> on. <laughs> because, uh, but I'll rectify that obviously this year. Um, because um, this was the year where there were the most ridiculous score lines across the whole um, of what was Division One. Oh, they quite often get this out, don't they, on Twitter? Exactly. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. So um, I've always, I've always had this theory, even like recent times, that there's tons of goals on Boxing Day. Um, but but this day was particularly ridiculous. There were 66 goals across 10 games, <laughs> <laughs> which, as we know on this podcast, my maths isn't brilliant, but even I can work out that 6.6 goals a game. Um. Which isn't that is right, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, which, which is pretty impressive. That wasn't even all the all the top division games. Arsenal v Birmingham was was, was postponed, uh, I think, because of bad weather. And when they played, there was another five goals to add to that. But the score lines then: Blackpool one, Chelsea five, Burnley six, Man United one, Fulham ten, Ipswich one, Leicester City. Dire game, 2 0 against Everton. Not sure what Everton were doing yeah. that day. Liverpool 6, Stoke City 1. <laughs> Forest Sheffield United played out a 3 all draw. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday 3, Bolton Wanderers 0. Bolton obviously letting the side down as well. West Brom 4, Tottenham 4. <laughs> West Ham 2, Blackburn Rovers 8. That, that's a, Wal- that, that is the best. That's silly. And Wolves 3, uh, Villa 3. So. <laughs> All those games taking place on on Boxing Day 1963. So I know from some story in either Perry Groves or um, uh, Ray Parler's biography that Arsenal players used to always get, even in that era, in the late like 80s, early 90s, get, you know, have boozy Christmas Eve and turn up for training on Christmas Day, like completely wasted. Kevin Richardson <laughs> of Arsenal and Villa fame apparently turned yeah. up in his dressing gown and slippers once <laughs> to training uh, on Christmas Day, um, and presumably that was what was going on back then as well, because yes, sixty-six goals across ten games is—it's uh, fair to say it's quite a lot. So yes, one of my favourite things to dig out every Boxing Day. I think I think the two-eight is a is a standout even amongst some pretty <laughs> monumental scores. <laughs> I um, think that's fair. I've got. Um, I'll do this one quickly because this is uh, I've got one where I was there and then I've got one where I was very nearly there so okay. I'll do the nearly first so in 2019 um, Major League Baseball came to London for the first time uh, with the Yankees Red Sox playing two Major League games on the Saturday and the Sunday and mm. I got tickets uh, but I went on the Sunday because I was playing cricket on the Saturday. And as it happened, I cracked my hand and got was out injured. So I couldn't go on the Saturday, but I didn't go on Saturday because I thought I'd be playing. So um, as you know, because we went through a lot of stats when we talked about baseball a number of episodes ago, the average number of runs in a baseball game is between eight and 10, depending on the year. So right. Yankees played the Red Sox in the Olympic Stadium in uh, Stratford or uh, West, Home, West Ham's sort of circle of purgatory as it's also known um now baseball games aren't normally played in football stadiums so it, it meant that it was quite an odd shape 
so there's some some bits of the ground were really short and some bits really right. um so uh potential for high scores um and it was hot stinkingly hot on the saturday um so average number of runs in a whole game eight between eight and ten uh after one innings of each team yankees red sox it was six all and it finished 17 13 to the yankees that's not bad um and even the second uh the second game on the Sunday, it was 4-0 to the Red Sox after one innings, but they hit three home runs in that first innings, which is more than you normally get in a game. Um, mm. So, yeah, a monumentally uh, high score. It was the longest Major League Baseball game ever, four hours, 45 minutes, because basically no one was getting out. And they just kept smacking kept, uh, kept having to find new balls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and subsequently... It was also the best attended Major League Baseball game anywhere since sort of the early 2000s because they've rebuilt all the... So Major League Baseball, they built these massive stadiums and they realised not enough people were going in America so they knocked them all down and built nice kind of decent-sized ones that they right. they sort of generally fill. Um, mm. But obviously never been a match in Britain before. Loads of baseball fans who probably can't afford to go out to America and bought tickets to go and, and sold it out, so 60,000. So, yeah just a ridiculous ridiculous score so i thought i'd throw that one in there it's a bit of a niche that's one. a good one that that um so playing on that slightly smaller pitch does remind me of something we've talked about on this pod before that match we had on the <laughs> that we thought was an 11 aside pitch yeah. and was at best an eight aside yeah did, did contribute to the amount of goals scored that day as well it's fair yes, to say i think so <laughs> good that's another good one um right i've got a cricket one so this is the 4-3-8 game, the one day between South Africa and Australia from um, 2006 at the Wanderers Johannesburg, uh, where uh, Australia bat first and get 434 in a one-dayer. Obviously, the game's over, but no, <laughs> South Africa respond with 4-3-8 and win the game, which is, well, at the time, even now it's ridiculous, but at the time it's completely just mind-blowing how how was this even happened um but yes it it yeah bit of a game changer in terms of attacking cricket one day cricket and probably influencing test cricket too but you've got Katich for australia who got 79 started things off with 79 from 90 balls ponting got a 73 ball century on his way to a 165 um Hussey got 81 from 51 balls um, Australia got 53 off the final three overs, which isn't too bad <clears throat> to set 4-3-4. So South Africa lose a really early wicket, but then Smith and, uh, and, and Gibbs put together a partnership. Smith gets 90. Gibbs, who ended up getting joint man of the match actually with Ponting, although Ponting later said, no, it's Gibbs' day, he can have it. Um, he got uh, 175 to Gibbs from 111 balls. Uh, and then it gets to the final over. And it's still alive, and uh, they lose a wicket during that final over to South Africa. So Natini has to Natini has to um, uh, face Brett Lee. He gets a single, which means that Boucher can then hit a boundary to get that 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 single brought them level. Boucher gets a boundary to bring it to four three four four three eight. What an incredible, incredible um, scoreline and just ridiculous cricket match. Yeah, I so I remember following this, um, but. So I played Sunday league football that morning 
and we heard mm. about the score and we're following it. I mean, this is before, is it before smartphones? Sort of on the cusp. You could you could get scores on your phone, but you couldn't get, like, yeah. you couldn't have watched it. Um, no. And um, you have you got the scorecard up? I uh, don't have it up. No. Okay, because um, uh, there's a reason I asked, because um, we we were following they are going to get it. So it's at altitude. And apparently, when they walked off, Callis said, we reckon they're, like they they said and he said so that they could hear it as well they're 10 they're 10 or 20 short there they, they left some runs out there we can get this <laughs> i do have to scorecard now actually yeah. so um we so this is 2006 so we got an overseas player into my cricket club uh, in 2007 who played in australia and they had there was this guy who was really quick in their leagues and was known for being really quick and he'd gone through and made it and he'd like broken stumps in half. That's how quick he was. And he'd end up playing for wow. Australia. His name was Mick Lewis. And he played in this game. And I think it's wow. the worst bowling figures ever in one day international. Because <laughs> I've got it here. there was no one else. Because he probably bowled all right. But everyone was getting whacked. So to have the worst figures, you've still got to bowl all your overs. And did he go for 100 yeah. in his 10? He went for 113 Oof. in his 10. Yeah. And uh, the next worst looks like it was... Um, Brett Lee actually sixty eight off seven and a half. He didn't even complete his. Yeah, his so, such punishment. Yeah, so actually, he might have been, you know, he might have been all right on eight or nine overs, and then his last couple went went the distance. But it's at its yeah. altitude that that ground. So yeah, there subsequently have been like AB de Villiers has got like thirty ball hundreds and something ridiculous like that. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, I I do remember that game and how it changed. Yeah. I mean, it, that joint man of match is a massive cop out. If, runs chasing is so much more difficult than runs batting first. So it's not even a, mm. a comparison. Um, and also, really, it annoyingly, annoyingly, it allows punting to come off as that gracious. Yeah. So that that in itself is is uh, you know an indictment against giving it to two people. <laughs> yeah, that's just a, a complete mm. cop out. Complete cop out. Yeah. Okay, mm. well, well, I've I've got another cricket one, so um, okay. but it, it it's pretty different in terms of um, how, but it, it's got a nice background story. So I'm going to take you back to 1994, right? Okay. So, in the history of of what constitutes a good signing, you know, what what's Arsenal's best ever signing? What Henri for, for not much, you know, that sort of maybe Vieira discussion, yeah, three and a half million, yeah. I mean. Emmy Martinez is in the conversation for Villa at the moment. Mm. They are one of our greatest ever signings, yeah. which I'm sure you love. Um, yeah. Mm. Well, how about this? So in, in the winter of 1994, Warwickshire signed as their overseas player, a young West Indian who'd only scored one Test 100. Admittedly, the Test 100 was 277 against Australia at the SCG, but, you know, pretty much unknown. Um, mm hmm and he cost them £40,000 for the season. Um, and then three days after he signed, he broke the test world record with 375 against England. So this is, of course, Brian Charles Lara. Mm. Um, and then it just got ridiculous. Um, so he made his debut for Warwickshire 10 days later, 147, they won by an innings. Um he then got 100 in each innings as they got a draw. Um, and then in a one innings game, but still a first-class cricket game, they were set 
332 to win in 54 overs, which in 1994 he just didn't do. And he got 136 and they chased it down. Anyway, ridiculous season. He got absolutely millions of runs. But they played Durham in a rain-affected game. So Durham batted first, 556 for eight. Um, and it just, you know, it was just ebbing out into a meaningless draw. Um, and so basically they batted the rest of the game through. Um, but they actually batted fewer, 20 fewer overs than Durham, who got 556. Five, but in these 135 overs, they compiled... 810 for four, including 501 not out by Brian Lara. <laughs> um, and it's just a string of ridiculous statistics. Um, Go for it. I don't know where to start, really. So he faced 100, uh, 427 balls, so he scored faster than a runner ball. Again, which didn't, it's not that common in 1994. Yeah. Uh, 62 boundaries, uh, 62 fours, um, 10 sixes, so 72 boundaries. He put on for the, um, so for the fifth wicket, an unbeaten stand um, of 22, 322 with Keith Piper, who contributed 116. So he got... Uh, 200 <laughs> 200 <of> that <laughs> partnership um and it's just there's there's basically a, a quite a good story on the the bbc website the, the most famous kind of anecdote is um the keeper dropped him uh on about something in like double figures and said shut yeah. his shoulders and went bloody hell they'll probably get 100 now um <laughs> so yeah it's just absolutely mad um and yeah there was there's stories of people who didn't bother going to the final day because um it was just going to be a dead rubber and and then it was packed by the final session because everyone heard right. he was gonna he was gonna go for it um yeah and yeah it was the highest highest first class score ever and pretty sure will never never be beaten yeah uh but so 501 is a ridiculous score, but 810 for four, I feel, is more more ridiculous. Um, <laughs> That's really good. I I didn't... Uh, so obviously I know about the 501, but yeah, didn't... <laughs> never really thought about what the actual <laughs> innings total was. And obviously it's going to be ridiculous. Uh, that is, yeah, really ridiculous. The I mean, the innings, the innings score was they just they they didn't quite score at a runner ball but uh one of the guys got 44 off 126 it's like no you're crowd come on presumably <laughs> just presumably i mean he put on absolutely millions with with lara and just yeah i mean there's another partnership in fact yeah so he put on so that partnership must have been with lara so he put on hmm. 315 is that right 314 with lara of which he contributed 44 <laughs> he was the, obviously just there to enjoy watching lara <laughs> yeah yeah that is absolutely mad so yeah 
Um, yeah, so there you go. And it was a draw. Very good. <laughs> so, <laughs> to ridiculous in a way, it didn't, it didn't bring any kind of, it, it was not in the slightest bit interesting. Um, hmm. Yeah, it was. Except, yes, it is one of the most memorable uh, innings in history. Yeah, that's very good as well. Uh, right, I've got one more. How many have you got? How many more? Uh, well, uh, one. Yeah, one. So. One. Okay, I've got a silly one. But um, when I was thinking, right, what, what, what else? I, 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 I was trying to remember some ridiculous, ridiculous, really high scores, football scores that were obviously dodgy. Anyway, this one um, that I have here is, uh, I'm just going to read the whole article, to be honest, because uh, it's brilliant. Uh, Nigeria suspends football teams over scandalous 79-0 and 67-0 scorelines, <laughs> is the headline. Uh, the Nigerian Football Federation has suspended four teams involved in scandalous scorelines after two lower league clubs chasing promotion and needing to boost their goal differences, one game 79-0 and 67-0. In the matches played at the same time, Plateau United feeders reportedly scored 72 of their goals in the second half <laughs> to beat a Kerber FC 79-0. And you can check out the name of this, this team. Police Machine <laughs> swept 61 goals past Babiaro FC in the second 45 minutes of their 67-0 game. The uh, uh, NFF called it a mind-boggling show of shame and said players, match officials, and the tournament coordinator will be investigated for match fixing. Oh, right, really. Um, <laughs> the Federation's director of competition said anyone found to have played some role in this despicable matter will be severely dealt with. I mean, imagine being, what was his title? The, the director of competition? <laughs> Federation's director of competitions, yeah. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> Wow. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Feels I feels like think... it would be a short investigation. Hmm. I, well, I don't know. There's a lot to get into well, there. I, I like that there was clearly a discussion at 7-0 at half time. And they were like, is this is this passive enough? And they were like, mm, not really. <laughs> they're, apparently they're 20-0 up, so we need to really push it. <laughs> uh, yes. Brilliant. So, I love the fact that they just, that, that, that it was so important to win that they, didn't really consider the possible lifetime bans that were going to follow. No, mm. no. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Enjoyed that one. Okay. Well, I've got to finish. I've got my, um, my rugby one. Okay. Now, I don't know if you've followed what's been going on in the last few weeks, but um, Harlequins have won the Premier League and it's, it's been like an amazing turnaround. So in January, they got, thrashed like 53 by Racing of Paris in the in the Champions Cup and it was just really passive awful performance the, the mm. director of rugby got sacked so they they did the rest of the season without a director of rugby and the coaches just decided that they were just going to go for it and throw it around and they started playing some unbelievable rugby but then uh certainly one of the best players had a season-ending knee injury. Mike Brown got sent off and banned for stamping on someone's head, ending his Quinn's career and missing the rest of the, the, the competition through suspension. Mm. And the South African star who, who'd come in and done really well, uh, elbowed someone, got sent off. He would have been available for the last game of the season and the, knock, and the knockouts, 
if he'd accepted his fate, but he challenged it, missed two more games as a result, and was only have been available for the final, which there was no chance of Harlequins reaching at the time. So it seemed very stupid thing to do. Anyway, they got through to the semi-final. Uh, they were playing, so they were the fourth seed. They were away to Bristol with the top seeds, uh, twenty-eight nil down, and one at uh, thirty-eight all draw, one in extra time. It was the biggest turnaround ever in Premiership history. Um, and then won the final against Exeter Chiefs, who were probably on balance, whilst they were the number two seeds, probably favourites. They did the double last year, beat them in an amazing game, 40-38. So even since I've made my notes on what the ludicrous scores in rugby were, Mm -hmm. um, those two games have come along. But I wasn't at either of them. But I was at England 38, Scotland 38. (laughs) <laughs> which is still one of my favourite games, despite the fact Scotland didn't win. And um, just, oh, just what a game. What a game. Just the absolute game of two halves, where, um, so England went into a 31, uh, was it 31-0 lead? Yeah, 31-0 lead. At the end of the first half, conceded a charge down try to Scotland which was totally against the run of play and even then they controlled the rest of the first half and, and Scotland were rocking at half time 31-7 down and then it came up for the second half and it was like the players had just swapped kits <laughs> Scotland were just utterly dominant and scored a couple of absolutely ridiculous tries which they were capable of doing at the time and reeled off another 31 unanswered points to go into the lead um and uh, there was a couple of refereeing decisions that i uh, certainly farrell could have seen yellow but was only given as a penalty um which scotland then decided to kick that penalty at goal which would have if we'd have kicked that we'd have won definitely but it was a very difficult kick and i think we should have Mm. kicked the corner and tried to score another try because we were absolutely flying at the time um and then through the last play, England did get a bit of a foothold. I mean, they had 60 metres to go with 90 seconds to go, and they somehow got in. And the most galling bit of all, which I still wonder what would have happened to this day, Farrell was off, he'd been substituted for George Ford, is that they nearly scored in the corner, but some heroic Scottish defending to Scotland scoring right in the corner. But then they recycled the ball and scored under the posts because because right. it had been so horrific. I think if we just let them score in the corner, a George Ford touchline conversion for the draw, and he'd not had a kick until then. And I think, I, you know, that's a 45. That's point. major ifs and buts. You're never oh, going to let them score. No, you're not. On the, you know. No. But you just wonder if, if, that, what, if one of those Scots had missed that tackle and let them in in the corner. Yeah. And it's just... Uh, but if we'd mm. won that game, I would have. I've said this before. I would have just spontaneously combusted, and I'd have just been like, <laughs> crying. And uh, mm. yeah, so just as well he didn't win then, because yeah, cause I was painful. hosting for work, so I was like, yeah. <laughs> by by halfway through the second half, all semblance of professionalism had, had gone out of the window. <laughs> My clients, one of the clients, just hugged me at the final whistle. He's like, I don't know what to do. Like, there's one guy there who was, um, so he's from Gibraltar. So he said, well, I sort of support England, you know, in sport generally because, you know, Gibraltar was sort of part of, part of Britain. 
but like, I didn't I don't really think about England Scotland and by the end I wanted Scotland to win <laughs> so, yeah um and I think he was quite angry about Brexit and he was like well like, like, Scotland wanted to stay in so yeah I'm gonna support good Scotland. enough reason to support yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, what a game I have to say, um, yes, I enjoy beating Scotland as much as anybody. Um, but uh, even I uh, would have, I was happy with, to accept that result and even would have a Scotland win because it was just completely ridiculous. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, it, it is the Rebels versus the Empire, England, Scotland, as far as I'm concerned. Like, they're, yeah. they are massive, infinite resources that they can't manage properly. And yet, it's just the biggest, it's just the biggest game. And mm. to be there for that, and mm. even when we scored the try against the run of play, and I like stood up and went, "It's on." You're worried, aren't you? Like, clearly, we're not going to we're not going to come back. Don't worry. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, but I think that there is an Edinburgh game which came was shown during lockdown where we Edinburgh playing Russing in the Champions Cup game, which finished forty eight forty seven. Which, but it was a pretty insignificant game, and and. It was just watching two teams who, if they didn't have coaches, that's how they play rugby. It was quite uh-huh. that's that's quite entertaining. That's that's a ridiculous scoreline. But for me, because it was a big game to see a thirty-eight all draw, absolutely mad, absolutely mad. So that's yeah. my final one. That is um, that's very good. You've just reminded me of the fact that I was at um, Australia seventy-six England nil in uh, in, in Brisbane Sydney, at Brisbane. Uh, yeah, back in uh, uh, 98? 90, 98, yes, yes, exactly, 1998. Just want in England to get even just a, anything, like a, a drop goal, a, a penalty, and getting absolutely nothing, nothing to cheer <laughs> whatsoever. That's pretty ludicrous, but it was a total B, B team that England put out. Um, it was, that so... One. That that for a long time was one of my greatest sporting days because <laughs> England got utterly humiliated and then we played cricket um, and it was a school match against our biggest rivals who um, were like a, a, a big private school in Surrey who had little borders so they played cricket, practiced a lot more and we were the only team throughout the school who didn't lose and we and I and it, I got my first ever fifty. Um, so I, and I got like three or four wickets. So it's just like so in terms of personal achievement, an unbeaten fifty to win the game, mm. and England humiliated. I mean, it really doesn't get better than that. Doesn't get any better. No. Yeah. yeah. Whereas for me, I um, that was my last night in Australia. Had to fly back first uh, um, via um, New Zealand. So I was in Auckland Airport for about nine hours. Um, and what did they have on repeat on the screen the entire time I was there? <laughs> that game. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, we had contrasting experiences. It's fair to say. Absolutely. So, okay, right. we need to try and knock those into some kind of podium, don't we? We do. Um, mm. So, so where's your where's your gut gut feel on, on that? Um, we are. Mm, let's see. As we enter the stage of the podcast called "A Man Types Into a Spreadsheet," <laughs> um, I haven't actually the... got the spreadsheet open today. <laughs> Oh, right, okay. I'm just, um, just laid it out. <laughs> good, good. I'll, I'll stall whilst you whilst you do that. So what have we got? We've got um, the, obviously, the Ashes cricket and the ridiculous one-dayer cricket and the and, Lara cricket. And Lara, yeah. Then we've got, in football, we've got Boxing Day ni- 1963. 1963. 
and Brazil, and Monaco, Germany, and Brazil, Germany, and Monaco Deportivo, and Nigerian um, Match corruption. Music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I just feel that Nigerian corruption might not be that unusual. Well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Match fixing, um, maybe, but yes, yeah, you're I, right. I've got to, as an aside, um, I've got to the end of my epic Argentine football book that I've been reading for about two and a half years because I have to keep going uh-huh. away from it and coming back. And mm. um, so there's a, a few years ago, um, I think Argentine football had, had reached this sort of period where it wasn't as corrupt and as messed up as it usually has or has been historically. But the state decided to basically pump loads of state money into football so it could be shown on terrestrial. So like football for the people, a sort of political type thing. But by pumping loads of money into football, obviously made it loads more corrupt again. Um, Mm. And the target organised crime and all that sort of thing. And this is reasonably recent. Um, And I decided to Google how corrupt Argentina was. And there's like a metric of of how corrupt (laughs) Argentina is. And it said, <laughs> so there's 152 countries on this um, metric. And it said of, uh, of 152 countries, Argentina is the 145th least corrupt. <laughs> so, and then it, below it said, so it's the seventh most corrupt. It's like, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like right. the way it's phrased. It's like, yeah, <laughs> wow. That's, and I don't, I mean... Googling that now is not podcast fair, but six <laughs> countries more corrupt than Argentina. Nigeria's probably in with a shout, isn't it? Could be. Most people know the government code for fraud uh, in, in Nigeria off by heart. So, yeah. <laughs> if, um, I mean, between Africa and Central America, they're, you know, be, yeah. They're putting they're a lot of representatives few. into the Champions League of corruption, I would suggest. I think so. And so, yeah, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm completely neutral, so I can't comment on. <laughs> how this country might fare uh, <laughs> in that sort of... Uh, anyway, so what do we reckon? I I do think as a school... 810 for four, I think, is worthy of, of, of Dean Macy because mm. it's, it's clearly just an effort to get the most ridiculous score they possibly can. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the game at all. Like, it's not even to win. Yeah. Whereas I think everything else, they were winning, and then it just got a bit out of control. That's, um, <laughs> that's true. That is so true. So I um, do, I do feel like that, and I, and I don't think it's corrupt. No, 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 no. That's not at all. That's yes, very strong contender. I, I do think the the um, the the four three eight cricket match is was was such so ridiculous, so out there and changed things so much yeah that needs consideration for the podium I, I think well. and and that's the two the two scores whereas the the ashes one was only one innings yes so yes, i think true. i think that's probably worthy of a podium place because i do remember okay. how ridiculous that game was mm. um so i think i mean uh, right right mm. i think germany i think brazil germany because it's such a shock and um, yeah, and the classic of the game. genre. Yeah, mm. and then I think England Scotland. They yeah. would be. They would be my. So the international games where it's been bonkers mm. have probably probably overcome yeah, the yeah. domestics. I would say. So, mm-hmm. 
are, I reckon, Australia, South Africa in gold, Germany, yeah. Brazil, and then England, Scotland in bronze with a bit of bit of Brian Lara for Dean Macy. For Dean Macy, yeah, because it stopped being about the match and just was all about a ludicrous score. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, good stuff. Good. Shall we move on to some clarifications and corrections and omissions, mostly from our last podcast? Yeah, so, I've got one omission because it prompted me. Your, your your Germany Brazil chat has prompted me to an omission. So um, yeah, mm. so our um our great goals um pod, uh, our favourite goals. Sorry, that crucial distinction. Um, I mentioned yep. that. So the the five nil Germany Brazil was I told my wife to score because it was so ridiculous and that doesn't happen in football and the only yeah. time I remember showing my wife a goal because of how ludicrous it was was which should have been in my favourites was Zlatan's bicycle kick against England to complete his mm. hat trick which had obviously it's a hat trick it's a ridiculous bicycle kick and it's against England what a <laughs> triumph so um, which you. Yeah, you texted me about it at the time. That was my not watching England at all, particularly not in, in uh, friendlies era. Um, yeah, I wish I had. What a goal! What a ridiculous, <laughs> Ridic- um, yeah, so, um, stupid goal. One of uh, one of my good friends is French, and uh, there's now a verb Zlatane to Zlatan from his time in Paris. <laughs> I'd heard that. <laughs> just doing Zlatan things, and that to me is the peak. Peak Latin, you know. I think whoever was covering it, probably someone awful like Keown, said, "Oh, he never does it against England." I'm not sure he's a big game player, and he scored this ridiculous hat trick, which included, I think, of like a 30 yard free kick as well that he just yeah. whacked. And yeah, so so sorry, it's, um, sorry, Latin. There would definitely have been a Keown esque um, bit of commentary. He, that's a bit too early for him. I don't think he was quite at that level of co commentary at the time. But yeah, undoubtedly. That was always the thing, wasn't it? He never does it against, you know. Never does it against English teams. Okay. Right, as, <laughs> yeah. if, as if you know, hmm. just Bayern and Barca. Right, okay. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think, well, um, I think we might come on to punditry. <laughs> so. Yeah, yes, I think I think so. Um, yeah, I had an admit. So we, we obviously did our, uh, our uh, preview, which was basically a review of other um, tournaments to get people in the mood um and we went back to 1984 and we talked about um yeah some some of the great moments and great great uh, uh players and things and i said and as an aside i think i mentioned that one of probably the first penalty shootout in a tournament was in the 82 world cup not forgetting of course that in the euros in 76 the czech republic won on penalties and that's where we get the Panenka from because Antonin Panenka won that tournament with what is now known as a Panenka. Ah. So that is a pretty major omission, I thought, um, of, well, forgetting that and really not giving that the credit it, it deserved. So, yes, corrected now. Very good. Mm. That's actually um, the for one of our corrections. It's like normally it is. people from like the wrong country or... What, like this next one I'm going to do? Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Confederation of, what was it? The CIS. What did we call it? We called it, I think we called it. <laughs> it's, definitely, it's definitely not communist. 
<laughs> no, I think so, we, did, we did get that not, right. We did, yeah, but we said Confederation of what was it? States. Independent states. It's the Commonwealth. They were the Commonwealth of Independent States. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they were. They were so, so that was ninety two, wasn't it? They were. There was an Olympic yes. team in ninety two as well, who were called something else. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. So hopefully um, we haven't offended many Commonwealth of Independent States. Um, you know, loyal tees by saying that. Then, if it, yeah. it was very, it was a very short-lived period that didn't even last the Olympics, by the sound of it. Yeah. So they were called it nineteen ninety-two, the unified team. Which is <laughs> what? Ironic. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, basically mm. all the Russia, uh, all the USSR states. Um, mm which was subsequently broken up. Uh, so there is 12 countries, so I won't read them out, that, that formed right. a unified team and they competed under a uh, the Olympic flag. I've got a, you heard it here first. So ah, you know, sporting predictions are not my forte. Um, I do know that. And I've had a couple of classics in the Euros already. Um, but uh, I did in our very first pod. We were talking about unusual offspring. Do you remember this? Mm. Mm-hmm. And the first one I flagged up was a tennis player who had two daughters who play golf. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. I do. And Peter I know Corder. where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah. So his daughter Nelly Corder. So this is the younger daughter, a younger sister, um, is now the world number one at golf and won her first major in the last fortnight. Do you hear that? No, I didn't know that bit. Uh, so, so she is, yeah. So she's currently um, world number one. Uh, her sister is about. Um, I've got it down here. Is currently eighth uh, in the world, so pretty mm-hmm. decent. And then Sebastian Corder, twenty-year-old Sebastian Corder, has just knocked out Dan Evans out of Wimbledon. I saw so that. He is, yeah. Um, so he's got an ATP tour title. Um, and yeah, so they're doing all right, I'd say, the quarter family. So the siblings have, between them, got five titles this year. <laughs> that is um, pretty good. And I and just to mention for the the weak link in the quarter family, so Peter Corder, mm. who got to number two in the world and won a major, uh, Regina Raktova is the mum. Uh, career high ranking in tennis of 26 and two WTA well uh, t- tour titles. So Which decent, bad. yeah, decent. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, so I think um, yeah, mm. good good effort for the quarter family. So it was, and he was look, he was there supporting his his son yesterday, and not looking very quarter like. It looks completely different now. <laughs> He's, but, he's uh, upped his game since listening to the think He must have taken it quite personally. Yeah, he did. Apologies, uh, Peter. So, uh, yeah, you heard it here first. The Corder Dynasty. Decent. I think we should talk about the Euros. Yeah. What's caught your eye so far? Um. Well, a lot of very... so. I've watched some of it, not a lot of it, I have to say. Um, but I, so I've got loads of really random observations that don't link together in the slightest. 
Okay, perfect. Um, Sounds like perfect fare for this podcast. One is quite serious. Do you want to start with that or finish with that? Start. Punditry. Okay. Um, Emma Hayes, punditry, to me, has redefined, like, what you expect from people who are talking when you watch football. It's so much better than everyone else. She, It's like she's doing a different um, thing to everyone else. It's like yeah. it's not even punditry. Well, yeah, maybe it is, but it's exactly what I want because uh, I want yeah. someone to tell me stuff about the sport I don't know so mm-hmm. I can pass it off as my own knowledge <laughs> when I'm in the pub. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that's what they do in cricket. Like when you get an really good analysis from Sky and they're talking about how they hold the ball that is explaining to people who are like watching it on a superficial level a bit more detail about it and I think if you do it in the right, the right way and it's just so much better than I think I mean Keown's going to get it because he's awful but um, Danny Murphy is it Danny Murphy? It's just Murphy. bad and it's just like they've recorded 20 phrases and then someone is pressing one of those 20 buttons at a stop in play and it's just like, oh, they're looking a bit tired now. And, oh, you know, there's no science to penalties. Yeah, there is. You kick it in a, mm-hmm. a goalie can't reach and you practice hard. Like, um, and it it might be because they undoubtedly can sit, rest on their laurels, whereas um, all the female pundits, basically, they know they're going to get loads of abuse. So they actually do loads of work and prep. And as a result, are much better. But That's a fact. They... Some of the the ITV pundits, i.e. the ones that sit in the studio, have generally mm. been better, haven't they? And you definitely by a considerable margin. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, even Sunas has been reasonable. He has, yeah. No, they've got better pundits and better co-commentators. So Emma Hayes obviously has done. She 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 did some punditry early on, and has done co-commentary on a few yeah. games. She mentioned expected assists <laughs> the other day. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. I had to, I had to tell uh, my wife, Cassie, that she's what, expected assist. Um, and she, so she breaks the game down and tells you what they're doing tactically as it's happening, why a chance was created in exactly that 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 part of the field as it's happening. Um, so she's obviously a um, she's Chelsea's manager, Chelsea Williams yeah. team. We got yeah. to the Champions League final, and um, you can tell uh, they did. Yes, yes, they won the league too. Um, and you you can tell that she is looking at the game and observing it from a coach's standpoint and understands, well, not even understands because no one else does this really, but recognises that if she can do, the, you know, show her, impart her insight as things are happening, that's going to be helpful for people much better than, I don't know, um, Robbie Savage saying, how long's left every five minutes when Wales are ahead? Or, as you said, like Murphy, Keown or J- Jermaine Genus rolling out their stock phrases. They might as well not be there. No, absolutely. Um, and, you, and, you, and it's no better than watching a match of the day when they don't have co-coms. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's just someone yeah. sharing a bit of the, a bit of the, the sort of burden, basically. Mm. Um, so one, the example that was on Twitter, so I, I, I can't say for 100% this is true, so allegedly okay. this is what was said. So Emma, Emma Hayes said, Croatia's, Croatia's switch to a high press, engaging further up the pitch, created the opening for Spain's second goal by exposing a double up on their left back. Danny mm-hmm. Murphy said, that Aspicoleta looks like a good player. 
He probably got his I name don't... right, but <laughs> as, <laughs> as Key Laqueta. Sorry, that's always a trick. I... So she did say that. I'm not sure that Murphy would have said that because he would have seen as Billy Quetta play loads of times. Yeah, but yeah. it makes the point very well. And that is the difference. That is it. And and it's so noticeable, particularly after watching an Emma Hayes uh, co-commentary earlier and then watching the match later. It's so, so noticeable, the difference in, in terms of what you're getting. It's embarrassing for some of yeah. these pros who feel that they just need to, well, it feels like this anyway, just turn up and say those doc phrases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another favourite mm. moment was um, so it's a controversial red card. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was the Swiss one yesterday. Oh uh, yes. Where uh-huh. It was like, is it studs up? A couple of years ago, that was probably all right, but now it's a red card, and it was a Michael Oliver. So loads of people didn't like it because it's like, well, English referees are terrible because I watched the Premiership and they're always rubbish, and the referees have been way better in the Euros because of the European referees. It's like, well, yeah. They've also been told to interpret the rules differently, and um, and the and they were like, so it's a slightly hard tackle which has got a red card, and the pundits to make the judgment on this in the studio were Roy Keane, Graham Souness, and Nigel De Jong of the Karate Kick in the World Cup final, <laughs> and they agreed it was all a red card. You're like, well, there you go. I mean, they were sort of you could uh. it was reluctant. It was like, well, the thing is, his his feet are off the ground, and that's kind of how it's refereed now. So I, I did enjoy and just enjoy that. Um, His feet are off the ground. The hell didn't De Jong stay on the pitch after kicking uh, Xavi Alonso in like pretty much just under the throat? It was in the chest, all, yeah, yeah. All of his yeah. studs. <laughs> but you know, you know why he stayed on. It was an English referee. So uh, no, there you go. There you go. Yeah. All rubbish, aren't they? So, Point proved. Yeah. So I mean, there's <laughs> obviously loads. Um, Emma Hayes is polarising in a way that she wouldn't be if she was male as well. Uh, there's a lot of stuff about True, but it talks too much. It's like so. Yeah, it's well, a bit of an you say a lot. Of, it, it, well, obviously, <laughs> you say a lot, a lot of that. But um, usually, when a female pundit or commentator is is trending on Twitter, you go on there and it's a cesspit, and you know what you're going to find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was the one time where that wasn't the case. And she was trending for the right reasons. And virtually everybody, obviously there's some idiots, but virtually everybody is saying what we're saying. I, I can't believe that this that, that this is even possible as a co-commentator, basically. Uh, I, maybe just because I ended up clicking on stuff that was linked to the first thing I'd seen, but it, I felt it was sort of 60-40 in her favour. But there was like no middle ground whatsoever and there was a lot of an undercurrent in the, in the sort of the negative stuff, which, mm. you know, talks too much. It's like, well, well, she's speaking in sentences rather than cliche. It does take a bit longer. Um, yeah. So, and yeah. So, um, mm. so yeah, so that was Very my good. first observation. It gets a lot more jaunty from here. Come on, man. Um, <laughs> so, Roberto Mancini and the Italian staff and their suits. Mm-hmm. Give them the trophy now. They look unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, they are playing. I, I'd not watched much of them, and I watched the game last night, which was when they beat Belgium. Belgium. Uh, mm. And they were incredible. So they are an incredible yeah. team. Um, they've been really good throughout. And they've yeah. got a few players who are really good who I didn't really know. Uh, and I think it's because Serie A is like, impossible to watch because it's on like, a, quite a niche mm. over here. But, um, yeah, they're like full-backs just fucking bombing on. Spinazzola. Uh, yes. But out of the tournament yeah. now. So real shame, one of the players yeah. of the tournament. Yeah. yeah. Um so yeah, I think um 
I think for for reason. I mean, they've always got good kits as well, Italy. Yeah, um, classic. So I do think that's um, that should two be reasons why they should yeah just win the tournament. Well, runners up, but anyway, get to that. I've got a couple of observations about Belgium as well. Um, Go on. So for for countries where you've got a three coloured flag. I think there's a lot of scope to have a really good kit. And I don't remember Belgium ever having a good kit. I think they've really missed the boat on kits. I, 1982 80... World Cup. Yeah. Do you know the famous picture of Maradona at, surrounded by, have you ever seen this one, surrounded by about nine yeah, players? Yeah. It's a bit of a trick of It is because you know, it's a wall, isn't it? Exactly, pretty much. Match. Yeah. But they had red with like this black and yellow sort of, I yeah. don't know, not a sash, but the strip down the side. That was pretty good. But I think, in recent times, compared mm. to Germany, who have got the same colour palette, yes, I, I think Germany have battered them on the kit front. I think Germany's, and even Germany's black kit, like, that's even accepting that everyone hates you and we're just going to have a black kit. Even the logo's that, it amazing. Match against singles basically escaped to victory. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I do think Belgium have missed... A window of opportunity, both with the players they've got and the kits. <laughs> they've, got, they've had some quite naff makes as well. Like they've got, I think it was Adidas this time, which is, but like some really odd sort of Central European companies that mm. don't do very good kits. So I think they've yeah. they've missed a boat there. Um, and then uh, something I also loved about Belgium is their coaching team. It's got to be mm-hmm. the most uneven coaching team. So they've got Roberto Martinez, who's yeah. done well to get that job. But mm-hmm. um, and did you hear the fact that it was the first time Martinez and Mancini had managed against each other since the Man City Wigan FA Cup final? I did. Incredible. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> and then they've got Thierry Henry. Yes. And then they've got Sean Maloney. <laughs> Have they? Yeah. I didn't spot that one. <laughs> I saw it on Twitter. I had to look it up. So played for Wigan with when Martinez. Was yeah. There. And there's obviously segued into coaching and was a very gifted player played for Villa for a bit and was was good um but it it felt like when you do fantasy football and you've got to have three people and we thought you only had two or you're just going to try and get all your points in the first two and get the cheapest possible one (laughs) yep um Uh. so yeah I, I think I, I think Belgium will look at where they can possibly make some improvements, and that might be one of them. I didn't spot that, but obviously Italy had Mancini and uh, Viali yeah, and yeah, Lombardo, nice. I think, were all there. Incredible. Um, so, yeah, they definitely won on and off the pitch there. Yeah, they definitely did. Um, mm. So there's been, there have been some good kits. Finland had a really nice kit, a sort of with a little mm. yeah. like, like Palmer from the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Was a good one, very um, good. So yeah, Wales is pretty classic. Uh, yeah, that sort of yellow and green. I mean, yellow, green, and blue and red sounds like it's going to be awful, but it's just yeah, made it work. One of the best mm. ones, I'd say. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was. Um, I think that was. I mean, have you had any? Have Have you been in any sweepstakes or anything? Yeah, and I got. I'm, I'm running the work one, and I got um, Holland, and they obviously got. Um, I didn't think they'd win it anyway, but I did think. But they looked good for a while. We'll a bit they? they did won every group game. We talked about that previously when they did that, and then came up against yeah. a team that 
weren't expected to beat them and did. I thought very Dutchly. I think the Dutch stand a better chance when they've got fewer amazing players. I think when they've got loads of good players, they just all fight, don't they? Whereas mm. I think they're better off when they're worse almost. But then yeah. quite often when they're worse, they just don't qualify. So yeah. I thought they've got the right balance this time. Um, Although, yes, but probably too soon. If this team stays together, you could you, you can see them having a good World Cup. It's next year, isn't it? End of next year. Yeah, you can yeah, see them yeah, having yeah. a decent World yeah. Cup because uh, they do have some good young players as well. Um, mm. They contributed to... Uh, so there's a, there's a couple of conversations I've got running. One is with you about players who I thought must have retired by now and I cannot believe they're still playing for their country <laughs> um, but similarly also people who who are the oldest people who are who are somehow younger than me um, so this came up in the we had the world test championship final and yes. Ross Taylor's batting for New Zealand still and he's the old I think he's the oldest test cricket still going and he's a year younger than me and I was like he can't be he's played for them forever um, but Gore and Pandev, because I got um, North Macedonia in in the Swedish. Oh, excellent. So I watched some of their first game. And Gore and Pandev, who's a really good striker who plays, yeah. he's played in Italy for ages. So he scored mm. his first goal for Macedonia against David Seaman. Um, he, wow. Younger than me. I was like, God, he can't <laughs> Macedonia must be a tough looks around. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, there's a few... Oh. A few um, people knocking around. I was surprised. Uh, Steck Ellenberg. Is that the reason I thought of that? I yeah. can't believe he's still in goal for the Dutch. Uh, he um, he wasn't good enough for Fulham about four years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that was a surprise. And then, but I looked at who else they've got. And Tim Krull's in their squad, who's also aged. Ah. So must just be a. I, I guess you can have gaps. Um, in yeah. slightly odd positions. And keepers can play a bit longer. Yeah. But uh, it's just the, the quality. Yeah, he wasn't very good five years ago, but is still no. good enough to play for the national team. I yeah. think he played in the fight in that final, the, the Nigel De Jong Kung Fu kick final. I think he played in that. Yeah. Um, he was a keeper, was he? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um Sebastian Larson. Yeah. He was... <laughs> I mean, he is evergreen. I don't mind him being younger than me because he looks it, but um mm. for someone who's basically a wasn't he a wing back or a winger? He played, so he started at Arsenal and he, he played yeah. virtually everywhere. He played full back for us in a back four, even. He played at most positions except so centre forward. I Googled him back. and he was wearing that claret Arsenal kit, you know, that you had at the end, like the last yeah. year at Highbury. Which, mm -hmm. you, I mean, that's got to be 15 years ago, that, that kit. Yeah. Um, I was at a game uh, in that run where he played at left back, actually. I think we famously had about six different players had to play left back during that run to the Champions League final. He was one of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing I, I would understand about him, he's got, he's amazing at uh, set pieces, isn't he? So, actually, given Sweden are yeah. quite limited as a team, you might you might want someone who's amazing at set pieces. So um, Exactly. But yeah, I was surprised um, Vermaelen is still playing for yeah, Belgium. Yeah. Is he playing like <laughs> Japan or China? With Iniesta, they were saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 They did love that mm. fact about Belgium's back three was a hundred between the three of them. That that came up <laughs> numerous times. Mm. But yeah, they 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 looked a bit rushed, didn't they? By Italy, Italy's high press. They did. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, mm. So 
Yeah, I think I do prefer the BBC commentary, I think. See, I don't. Simply because um, I think when Tildesley's on, Tildesley's he's, Tildesley. he's good. Uh, and he stands out. He just, you know, it, 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 particularly when he's with McCoist. Um, <laughs> yeah, Ali McCoist has been brilliant. Superb. They just uh, understand that it is, you know, if they can add to the excitement of a game with their enthusiasm. Whereas, God, uh, like Murphy and Genus and Kia, but most of the BBC co-commentators not very good. Yeah, true. Um, McCoist is main... He feels like he's really excited to be there. So he does, even yeah. if he's saying platitudes, and I don't think he is. I think he's just being really genuine. Yeah. Um, that he, you know, he he really, he does add to it, even if he's not mm. adding much depth. And I guess, yeah, you know, he was a TV personality, wasn't he? He was on Question mm-hmm. Board, like, because he's a bubble. Yes. So, you know, I, he knows the job. He couldn't do that. No, no. But. As ITV also have Emma Hayes, as we said, who brings a technical side, and you know none of BBC's ones do that either. So their main commentators are quite solid, other than um, Jonathan Pierce. So I was watching um, the Sweden-Ukraine game the other day with our friend Stu, and um, I said, Stu, it's Jonathan Pierce. Watch, he's got a massive binder full of stats, and he's going to use them. Um, and he notices, like, I wish you hadn't told me that. I've noticed it. He cannot leave any space without him rolling out some sort of stat or fact about whether someone went to school or how they used to deliver bread to some, I don't know, local neighbour who ended up coaching a team that it's just stop, please stop. I just want to watch the football, not listen to the, your obscure facts. So mm. um, my friend Sam, who has listened to the pod, uh, I don't know if he's mm. a regular listener, he's the one who looks like Christian Eriksen. Um, uh-huh. from, from he would have met before uh, he sent me this message uh, which was um, yes he's only marginally worse than Jonathan Pierce, who just falls in love with one player and then doesn't shut up about him <laughs> which I feel is again one of those observations I wouldn't have made but now will haunt me forever yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, was, uh-huh. there was a World Cup where it was the first World Cup where they had goal line technology where did you watch this game? Twenty ten. It hit the inside of the post. Oh, no, no, twenty fourteen. Yeah, and they showed it to goal line technology, and it it basically demonstrated that it had part of the ball had probably gone over the line because it had hit the inside of the post, yeah. but not all of the goal. And, and and it was just clear. And he was like, "It's controversial. It looks like that's a goal." I was like, "No, it doesn't." And <laughs> everyone was like, "Why can't you understand? It just shows the ball in the post." Yeah, uh, I can't no understanding of the rules. Mm. No, no. And I, I mean, he did those sort of famous um, when he was on Capital. It was the mm. the, the three lions, uh, the '96. Yeah, he did the the Capital commentary, and they were they went pretty they went yeah. viral. But it was before social media. But you know, and they did remixes of three lions with Jonathan Pierce commentating over the top. But that's yeah. twenty twenty five years ago. And um, yeah, I remember him commentating on Arsenal's title wins late 80s early 90s on capital godsport and he was brilliant at that problem yeah. is that's radio you need yeah. to talk all the time yeah you need you to do. but yeah. i feel like he's brought his same binders full of info over to tv where it's we can actually see it it's fine you don't need to talk all yeah. the time yeah. it's great on yeah. robot wars though to be fair <laughs> <laughs> Credit it's completely over the top. yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah mm. But I think there is sort of, you know, the ideal kind of com- com- combination is is a commentator you like, but who's a broadcaster. 
So I yeah. listened to what was the you know the day the ridiculous day where there were two back to back amazing games. So it was Croatia Rapids, game, yeah. and they mm. were um, it was three one with five minutes to go and Croatia equalised. Mm. And I was listening to Five Live and Conor McNamara was commentating, mm. and he went spare when they equalised, like he was a Croatia fan. And I was like, oh, yeah. this is really good. I'm really up for this now. I'm gonna watch extra time in the game. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And then I got home and my wife was doing a workout in the lounge and I couldn't watch it. So, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. uh, hmm. I then proclaimed that the France-Switzerland match was over at 3-1 and started playing guitar and turned the sound off. And then, obviously, they... <laughs> so, yeah, classic, oh, classic picks and predictions. So, but yeah, it's been, it's been good. I think um, I am getting a little bit worried England are going to win it. Well, yeah, so the one thing we haven't discussed, obviously, is um, England-Scotland as mm. part of, you know, uh, which was the high point of, uh, of of your tournament, I think it's fair to say. Um, I mean, it was it was a very Scottish tournament um, mm-hmm. in that if I had to map out your standard, your standard Scotland approach, it's in the first two games, there's a disappointing defeat and then there's something which gives you hope. Absolutely. So the yes. England game clearly gave us hope, and actually, I was disappointed with that. I thought we 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 did, were more deserving of a win than England were. Agreed. Whether we were deserving of a win is 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 mm. up for argument. But I thought potentially we could have gone for it a little bit more because I thought England were were really scared of losing that. Um, yeah. I thought uh, there's always there's often an embarrassing or or hapless hopeless defeat. So. 98 mm-hmm. was our last major tournament and we lost 2-1 to Brazil who were a really good team and it was an own goal yeah. where it like got cleared into a defender's chest and went in and it's mm. just like oh for god's sake um and then often we've usually got a chance going into the last game mm. and we'll either completely get outclassed by someone who shouldn't be miles better than us or will be there'll be again some kind of misfortune so i remember 98 we just was very very scotland we only needed to beat morocco who weren't very good and as long as norway didn't win and they were playing brazil and not only did norway win we got thumped by morocco and it's just it is that classic you know just a bit Mm. when we equalized and then modric's goal oh yeah just yeah. utter filth. I didn't think he needed to do it off the outside of his boot, but he just did anyway. Oh. And that made yeah. me think, well, actually, of course, whilst Croatia might be old and they didn't play very well against England, they kind of didn't, didn't need to. They probably looked at that England game as a bit of a hit out, you know, because mm. as long as we don't lose to to Czech, the Czechs and Scotland and we, we, we can get, you know, avoid defeat in both of those games, we, we brought a pretty good chance of winning one of those and we'll go through yeah and it's pretty it's a bit of a lottery as how how the draw works out um mm. so yeah it was it was the high point um not least because we had people around and that's quite enjoyable because we haven't done that much this year but yeah, yeah it was a bit so did i a bit of a drab yeah I mean, the girls that came around weren't watching it at all because it was pretty tedious but um quite dull yeah, yeah. Um, and of course we uh we did predictions you predicted an england win i predicted a draw and it was uh you were right as usual Nostradamus comes uh comes up with another spot on prediction um whilst your favorite goals shouldn't be against your team the patrick schick 
goal from the halfway line against Scotland with the keeper running back and getting tangled up in the net was yeah lovely, incredible. Yeah, the um, it's the, yeah, it's definitely the best um, despairing sprawling in a net I've ever seen from a keeper because yeah. he was running full speed <laughs> right into the net. Didn't didn't pull up at all. Brilliant. I mean, the keeper's a long way off his line, but how hard is it to hit the ball flat like that? Basically mm-hmm. running onto it. I mean, he started had to start it miles wide. Yeah. Pearl it in and it hit the back of the net on the foot. Yeah. I just think you'd take that chance most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he did seem an awful long way out. but Yeah, it was. Uh, and he's not a spring chicken, so maybe just playing a bit deeper might have been a better idea. But <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I think, I mean, that is an astonishing finish. Certainly. It was brilliant. Yeah, sweet, sweet, sweet strike. So, mm. so yeah, and, a full, and that's that's one of many of quite a few calamitous uh, goalkeeping instances in this. Did you see the volleyball one? I can't remember what matches is, but where the, go- the goalie jumped the ball, saves it, uh, goes up, think <laughs> off the bar, up in the air, he jumps up and bangs it into his own net. <laughs> it's one of the best things. Yeah, I've seen. So uh. The goalkeeper's union is understanding of that happening because it's. Right. The ball going straight up in the air is quite rare. It's not something mm. you really practice. So normally when you just sort of tamely flip the ball over the bar like that, that's yeah. coming from across. And it's like you do it because it's the safest thing to do. But when the ball like the ball coming directly down on top of the crossbar is like the worst. Because mm. you leave it and you've misjudged it. You've got to do something. And he just mm. jumped too early. So he basically landed before he got carried it and just parried it in the net. <laughs> There was, yeah, it was brilliant. Right. Uh, yeah, um, and obviously there was the uh, the guardian with the disappearing foot the other day with a back pass, and it just it just uh, yeah. goes in as he swipes at, at. Well, yeah, didn't even swipe at it. That was brilliant too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Been some outstanding uh, own goals and gaffes. Own goals and gaffes. Mm. The video coming yeah. out soon. Yeah. <laughs> coming soon. Danny Baker get, comes out of retirement. Yeah. So mm. well, we've got a week mm. of it to go then. So I think we can yeah. make some pretty. So, so do you think England are going to do it? So, uh, by uh, do it, you mean win, do you? The well, tournament? there's an update for because in case people are read, listening to this years later. At the moment, they've got <laughs> Ukraine later, yes. followed by the winner of Denmark Czech Republic, yes, followed by the winner of Italy Spain. Mm-hmm. So, England should beat Ukraine. If they don't, that is actually a disaster. Yeah, the next match. I don't think anybody who is um, of reasonable mind would think it will be straightforward because it won't. It's a semi-final, and they've done well to get there and yeah. had to get through some some decent odds and a good teams in good form. So, but having said Denmark that, have got the fairy tale element as well, haven't they? They do have that. Um, looking forward to them wheeling out Christian Eriksen to take the winning penalty in the final <laughs> if they get there. Um, but. Um, I think England at home against one of those two teams, again, it's a massive disappointment if you don't win that game. I think they should be favourites yeah, to win that game. Yeah. And then you get to a final against Spain or Italy where anything can happen. But again, as an England fan, you've got to believe that you would win that at home. So it's a brilliant opportunity. Do I think England will do it? I think they can do it, is what I would say. And I think if they're they're in the final, then I'll say yes. But I think there's still some work to be done to get there. 
So I actually think the most likely game that they'll lose is Denmark. Is is a semi against Denmark or the Czech Republic because I think England know how to to set. I think Southgate set them up to be tight and to play against better teams, and that's mm-hmm. why they were quite underwhelming against Scotland and they were quite underwhelming in their group because the other teams didn't offer very much. So everyone could go, why aren't mm-hmm. they putting Grealish on? Why aren't they scoring more? Um, so I think they will be reasonably well set up to play Italy or Spain, but I think mm-hmm. I don't know. Czech, yeah, Czech Republic and Denmark. I think I'd worry about that. I think that's the game. If I had to put my money on the most likely outcome, I think they'll lose the semi-final. I think um, that's sort of where I stand on it. I don't. And before the Germany game, a lot of people were talking about this this path that was opening up. I wasn't looking past the Germany game, and at the moment, I'm sort of a little bit looking past the Ukraine game because, like I say, that would be a disaster to lose. But I'm not looking past the semi-final. I think that will be a tough game. They've played the Czechs before. They'll have learned something in this tournament. Um, so, yeah. But, well, even getting to a semi for England is rare. So it'll be a special occasion anyway, particularly Indeed. at Wembley. Indeed. Mm. And who, right, one word answer, who's going to win the tournament? England. Oh, I love Italy. Okay. Right. Predictions done. So when we next meet, uh, we can uh, look back on those. Yeah. But uh, I think that's it. I think we've we've uh, entertained the listeners for long enough. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, we look look forward to the the big game. Yeah, Absolutely. maybe maybe we could do a pre-final preview if, if England do get there. Let's pencil that in, and uh, yeah, speak then. All right. Cheers.